You are listening to the Speak Podcast. The podcast featuring talks from Speak, a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Welcome to the Speak Podcast, produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Speak is a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Each Speak Talk features three key moments. The moment of truth, the moment of transformation, and the moment of impact. We host pop-up events all over the world, and now we are bringing our talks to your device. Our speakers are stepping onto the stage and into the spotlight, and now onto this podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Speak Podcast. I am your host for today, George Andriopoulos, the architect and one of the co-leaders here at Speak. We have an incredible episode in store for you all today, where today's micro theme is life after cancer. We are hearing from three published speakers who are giving incredible talks that discuss the aftermath of cancer, whether it was themselves or a loved one. Let's dive right into these three talks. Our first talk comes from our Speak Homecoming event, which took place in Carrollton, Texas, right outside of Dallas in March of 2023. I'm going to let producer Cheryl West Long take it from here. Our next published speaker is Stephanie McAuliffe. Working with Stephanie is such a gift. She's always going to be working on her talk before it's even time to start working on a talk. She shows up prepared. She often is turning in things far before the deadline and ready to work towards the next milestone. She is one of those people that is brilliant and yet so witty and funny with its dry sense of humor that it's just such a joy to to be in a room as the wheels are turning. And with that work ethic and a sense of humor, you'd almost missed the fact that during our time together she was undergoing treatments for her breast cancer from speak homecoming recorded on march 30th 2023 at the k plaza art center in Carrollton, texas here's healing trauma through healing cancer in january of 2019 i locked the front door of my house for the last time It was a place I'd lived in for 14 years that no longer felt like home. It was time to leave what housed the ghosts of my marriage and the old me. For the first time in over 30 years, I had no pets, no partner, no rent, and no mortgage. It was me, a few of my cherished possessions, and my five-speed Mazda as we hit the road. My initial plans had me travel to Texas for a speaking tour in late February. March found me in Thailand, where I visited sacred temples and spent many nights looking up at the stars. When I returned to the States, my heart called to wander. I traveled throughout the West and sought out sacred sites. 
I hiked to shrines at the top of mountains into a cave on the backside of a, of a remote town. I walked many labyrinths and climbed to a medicine wheel only found via map coordinates. I visited a Benedictine monastery that had views for miles and offered lunchtime chants that were balm for the soul. I discovered my love for hot springs, which brought healing via the convergence of the elements, something that became a focus for my travels. Back east, I'd built a successful career on Wall Street. Work was a place where I knew what I needed to do. It was a place I could prove my worth. Work became my identity and provided something to focus on outside of myself. For 27 years, work was my foundation. It felt like something I could control because even in the chaos of corporate life, systems and project management gave me a sense of knowns. Work provided protection from the crazy outside world until one day my career was over. All of a sudden I had no roof, no walls and no foundation. My home of implied safety that I'd leaned on for so many years didn't exist anymore. It turns out work was a house of cards. In my eight months on the road, I found freedom and comfort and not having any parameters, I felt safer than I had in years. When I think of home, it's a place we live within that's outside of us. It's meant to be a place of safety and refuge, a place where we can let everything fall to the floor and just be. Ideally, home is a place where we don't have to pretend, where we can speak our truth and be seen for who we are rather than feel like a burden. For me, home was safe until it wasn't because of mental illness. It was safe until it wasn't because of sexual abuse. It was safe until drugs or alcohol took over. In many of the homes I lived in, each time it felt like the rug was pulled out from underneath me, I lost a piece of myself, a little more of my voice, and I began to forget who I was inside. My travels landed me in Utah not long before the world shut down, a place where I was safe until January of 2021 when I felt a large lump in my right breast. We think of a cancer diagnosis as tragic, but what if the very thing that society tells us to fight is the exact thing for us to lean into, the thing that will help bring us home to ourselves? From a place deep within me, I began to really listen to what my heart was calling for. As children, many of us dream of traveling to far off places, yet few of us make it further than the end of the block. In my childhood, I didn't have the option to leave, not even in my dreams. As an adult, I'd persevere until I couldn't any longer, and then I'd walk away. I realized that I'd wandered for most of my life, through schools, relationships, and jobs, always searching for that person, that place, or that thing that would make me feel whole. With this diagnosis, there was no leaving my body and no escape from what didn't feel safe. There was me with a tumor that represented 
so many of the burdens I carried for so many years. I was immediately grounded into a whole new way of looking at my world. Four years after locking my front door for the last time, and two years after beginning the journey of healing breast cancer, two months ago, I completed 25 rounds of radiation after a mastectomy. Breast cancer has given me the opportunity to heal my own ghosts, and it shifted my world in miraculous ways. I've connected more deeply with my voice and of who I am from underneath the stories I've carried. I've healed the energies internalized from the panic attacks and depression that were around me when I was young. I found deeper levels of forgiveness from the experiences of sexual abuse. I've cleared anger, frustration, and defensiveness and let go of the patterns that drove me in my old world because breast cancer brought me to my knees. It's been a journey to go within the walls of my heart and heal the traumas that had me seek validation outside of myself, to listen to my own inner wisdom, and to find peace in a world filled with chaos. Breast cancer has given me the space to create a whole new foundation. It's the catalyst that's brought me home to myself of healing the emptiness of feeling like I'd lost everything, when in reality, I was given the space to rediscover me. This has been a time of finding my place in my world. This journey continues, and this much I know. I've fallen in love with these four walls I inhabit, these walls that carry me through life, that are open to love and continued healing. The hardness that was my shell of protection for so many years has softened. I've softened. This sacred temple in which I live, where there is no lock, nor a key to turn, a place I've finally come home to, where I am safe, at peace, and I have everything I need. What an incredible talk from Stephanie McAuliffe. Again, that was Healing Trauma Through Healing Cancer from Speak Homecoming in Carrollton, Texas. We thank Stephanie and we thank producer Cheryl West-Long for putting Stephanie on stage and producing such a thoughtful event. Our next speaker comes from Speak Laughter, which took place in Farmingdale, New York at our headquarters in August of 2023. Lada Lisniak, the unicorn play goddess, as she refers to herself, found healing and strength in the most unexpected places. In her captivating speak talk, she dons a unicorn on her head as a playful reminder and takes you through her inspiring transformation. Battling an eating disorder and breast cancer, she delves into how laughter and play became her powerful allies. Join Lada as she shares how reconnecting with her permission to play switch unleashed a wave of joy and positivity. Through contagious laughter, exercises, and heartwarming anecdotes, she invites you to embrace your own inner child and experience the incredible impact of laughter. From Speak Laughter, here's Lada Lisniak with How Laughter Helped Save My Life. You're probably all looking at me and wanting to ask me, why do I have this unicorn on my head? 
Now, before I answer that question, let me ask all of you a question. Why aren't all of you wearing unicorns on your heads? Mm -hmm, yeah. But let me ask you another question. When was the last time that any of you checked your permission to play Switch? You know what I'm talking about? That permission to play Switch that we all have inside of us that says, yeah, go ahead. Wear fun things like this on your head. Why not? Or maybe you're in the grocery store and you hear you picking out your tomatoes and you hear your favorite song on the radio. You just want to rock out right there in the produce aisle. Or maybe you're just full of happiness and joy and you just want to jump up and down like a little kid. Go for it. All of this is your permission to play Switch. Now, do you want to see where your permission to play Switch is? Right here, right now? Mm-hmm. All right. I want you all to think of your favorite animal, the sound it makes. And when I say go, make the sound. Go! Yeah, meow, meow, meow. Woo, woo, woo. Oh, I like it, a pig. Very nice. All right. Same sound. Now, give it a little bit of a country twang, a little bit of hee-haw. Come on, meow, meow. How, how. Moo, moo. All right. That's good, that's good. Yes, okay. All right, but now, let's make it operatic like an opera. Meow, 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 meow. Come on, let me get a pig opera. Okay. So however you reacted or didn't react or meowed or mewed, that should give you a little bit of an idea where your permission to play switch is these days. Now I know for sure that there is such a thing as a permission to play switch because I remember the moment that my own permission to play switch was turned off. I was in the car with my mom, and she turned to me and said in her beautiful Ukrainian accent, Lara dear, now that you graduate college, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I said, honestly, mom, I just want to have fun. I want to play. Sweetheart, you cannot play for the rest of your life. You need to be serious. Life is serious. How many of you had that serious finger in your life? Or maybe you remember the moment that you went serious. So I joined the Serious Club. Had a whole bunch of serious careers. I became a very serious art and documentary photographer. Then I was a very serious photojournalist and journalist. Covered stories like the fall of the Soviet Union. And eventually, a very serious television news correspondent. And all that seriousness for me resulted in two very serious side effects. Serious side effect number one, a 20-year battle with bulimia, an eating disorder. It felt as if I had this bottomless pit in my soul. And no matter how much food I put in there, it never was enough. And I couldn't stop no matter what I did. But you know what stopped me? My second serious side effect, a potential death sentence, breast cancer. The doctor said, Ms. Lusniak, if you don't do chemotherapy, radiation, and remove both of your breasts, you are going to die in five years. 
What would you do if someone said that to you? I was in shock. I went numb. I didn't know what to do. But that's when I heard it. Finally, my voice, Lada's voice, that voice that was beaten down by years of bulimia, by self-loathing, by self-hatred, by self-criticism. And it said, Lada, you're not going to die of cancer, no. You don't need to listen to what the doctor said. You need to take your power back. How many of you have taken your power back or need to take your power back? You go from being a victim to 100% responsibility in a decision. Day of diagnosis, I quit the eating disorder. Haven't looked back since. That glamorous at very serious television job, I quit. And oh yeah. I took my power to play back. I began to hoop dance and fire hoop dance and drum circle dance. And I'll never forget when a guy came running up to me at a drum circle. He's like, wow, girl, you dance as if your life depended on it. And it did. I was dancing as if my life depended on it. I was playing as if my life depended on it. And I was laughing as if my life depended on it. So what is laughing? as if your life depended on it, look like. Have any of you heard of laughter yoga? You get into a room with a bunch of strangers and you laugh. And you do exercises like this. Please join me. He, ha, ho. He, ha, ho. He, ha, ho. He ha ho. He ha ho. He ha ho 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 ho. Ho ho ho. And the interesting thing is that the body doesn't know whether you're really laughing or fake laughing. You're still getting the same benefits, which is that beautiful release. And speaking of beautiful releases, the next thing I was doing, I was having laughter orgasms. Laughter orgasms. Now, someone said that has to do with laughter yoga. I never experienced it. I actually discovered it by myself on Long Beach Boardwalk with a friend of mine sitting on a bench. And we were just talking about my healing and breathing the air. He said something funny. I said something funny. We both started laughing. He stopped laughing, and I kept laughing. And 45 minutes later, I'm still laughing. Happened once, twice, three times, multiple times. And I can only say, when you have laughing for an hour straight, it felt like an orgasm. But I was like, wait a second, there, there's something else going on here, right? Laughter is contagious. So I was laughing at myself, laughing at myself, laughing, making myself laugh. So let's see how contagious laughter is. Let's start laughing. Go! <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine, right? Yes, and it heals. You ever hear of Norman Cousins? He wrote a book, Anatomy of an Illness, where he talked about that he had a degenerative disease. The doctor said, you got six months to live. He said, all right, well, if I got six months to live, then I'm going to just laugh my way out of here. 
So he looked at funny movies and uh, sitcoms and books and jokes. And eventually, he actually cured himself and others. So I did the exact same thing. I steeped myself in funny things like I Love Lucy, uh, Three's Company, SpongeBob, anything I could think of to try to stay in that beautiful high vibe of laughter and positive energy. And all that positive energy, all that laughter, all that dancing, all that play, I can truly say helped heal me and enabled me to be standing here in front of all of you 16 years later, cancer free. And that's how the unicorn was born. I wanted to celebrate my healing and share the laughter, the love, the dancing, the playing, the lightness with the whole world. And that's why I wear the unicorn. I've been wearing it on my head for the last three years, everywhere I go, reminding people to play. And if they say something to me about the unicorn, I say, oh, you just triggered a one minute unicorn dance party. I whip out my phone, I put on a song, and we dance. And y'all know that's what we're gonna do right now, right? Mm-hmm, that's right. Let's make some history. First ever one minute unicorn dance party on a speak stage. And as you're all standing up, I'll give you a quick life hack, how to get your permission to play switch up instantly. What do little kids do that we don't do anymore as adults? Any guesses? Start with a J, U, M, P, jump. So as you're jumping up and music and moving around, music maestro. Imagine you're a little girl, little boy. You have some passion. You have some dream inside of you. But the world, society says, no, 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 be serious. But I'm saying, go, go, go. Go for that passion. Go for that dream. Do what it is that you want to do. Unleash the little kid in you. Turn your permission to play switch on and dance with it. Woo! And play with it. And laugh with it. All right. Woo, go, my speak dancers, go. All right, we're making history. Woo. All right. Okay. Thank you. So now you all know why I wear the unicorn. And I sincerely hope that each and every one of you will find your own unicorn! That was Lada Lisniak with How Laughter Helped Save My Life. Thank you, Lada, for an incredibly fun talk. I had so much fun watching you on that stage and collaborating with you at that particular event. And your talk has touched so many people's lives. So thank you, Lada. Our final speaker for today comes from Sarah Kavanaugh from our Speak Growth event, which was our one-year anniversary event, which took place November 30th, 2023 on Long Island, New York. Sarah Kavanaugh shares her personal story about surviving her mother's cancer only to discover years later that grief got trapped in her cells. She had no language for complex emotions or the ability to talk about death. The talk, 
not the one you think is her story about learning her way into healing by having the most important conversations of her life. Without further ado, here's Sarah Cavanaugh with The Talk, Not the One You Think. Today is my mother's birthday. I celebrate today instead of the day she died. She died 21 years ago, and she was kind, gracious, and loving, but she never talked openly about her life or her death. She lived for a full year following her stage four diagnosis of undifferentiated carcinoma. She discovered it in an exercise class. Her shoulder was sore, so she went to a nurse who palpitated this weird, squishy tissue and sent her straight to the hospital for a scan. No one could ever figure out what kind of cancer she had, but the cancer was everywhere in her body, and it must have been extremely painful. But I only saw her cry once. We were in one of the many doctor's appointments that year, and the port in her chest had clogged, and so her arm was swelling up. When the doctor asked her to lift her arm, she cried out, and her eyes swelled up. And I remember it so vividly because it was so unusual for her to lose her cool, to show me any kind of emotion or pain. And it must have been a year of incredible pain. She never talked to me about her own death. She would just give me this look, this sad, silent look. And I didn't ask her about the cancer. I didn't ask her what it felt like to have toxic chemicals poured into your chest. I didn't know how I felt. I just knew I couldn't broach the subject. We didn't have any words. None of us had any words for losing our mother. My family ignored the fact that she was dying and instead focused on the cure. We couldn't imagine living without her. And so we let the doctors take over and her life became the treatments, the cancer sickness, and denial. And instead of gathering together and celebrating and honoring her last days, she ended up in Texas in a phase one trial, 2,393 miles away. My father especially wanted to save her, and I don't blame him. I don't blame either one of them. They were from a generation who never never talked about death or saying goodbye. It was not until years later, in 2018, that I had my wake-up call. My own child had a mental health crisis. We were in the ER, and when we found out what had happened, my husband and I were put in the ER's grief room. It's a small, soundproof room where they put grieving parents to be alone. And when the nurse finally came in to say that they were admitting our then 15-year-old for treatment, my nose spontaneously bled. It gushed. The nurse looked surprised and handed me some scratchy paper towels and kept on talking. I didn't hear a word, she said. Literally, grief was in my cells and overflowing in blood. I couldn't pretend I was okay. I couldn't be stoic like my mother was for the most part during her cancer. I had to face this deep grief. It felt ancient and enormous and goes back generations. 
I realized my family never talked about loss. I had a brother, and I didn't even know I had a brother until I was 10 years old. He was the son named after my father, George Matthew. My family's grief about Matthew's death was the unspoken part of our world. We were taught to think positive, move forward. There were no pictures of Matthew in our home, no mention of his name, nothing to mark his beautiful, short life. They sent my siblings back to school the day after Matthew died, and they got pregnant with me because they always wanted four children. Think positive, move forward. I was literally born because of a death in the family. I can't imagine what it's like to lose a child. My moment in the ER was so powerful, and yet my child was still alive. I realized grief was making me sick. When my nose bled and nausea overwhelmed me, I had to face all that stuff was, that was in my body. If you're one of the millions of people that have read The Body Keeps the Score, then you know what I'm talking about. In order to grow and heal, I had to feel all those feelings. Those feelings about my mom, about my teenager, everything I was holding. And I had zero skills, no language. I began to imagine what our culture would look like if we had a language for the end of our finite life. If we accept that we have limited time on this planet, how much deeper our conversations would be, I would have told my mom all the things I appreciated about her and her life. Instead, I learned about her childhood from her sister after she died. I could have learned it from her, and I would have no regrets about her death if we'd had that really intimate conversation. Why do we go for the Hail Mary? Why do we pull out all the stops to live longer? Why does Western culture put so much energy and money into prolonging the inevitable? Our Hail Mary put mom far away in Texas, and she loved her life. She loved her grandchildren, her garden. She had the most beautiful flowers. She was far away from me and my siblings, and I couldn't travel at that time because I was eight and a half months pregnant. The airlines would not let me on the airplane. I was huge. She never got that phase one drug either. They sent her home with pneumonia. She was awake only a short time. She called me by her beloved nurse's name and fell into a coma. She died on May 10th and we spread her ashes on Mother's Day. And then I started having contractions. She missed her youngest grandchild by only five days. But the whole family missed out. If someone had asked her what she wanted, she might have had more time with the things she loved. Our relationship would have grown deeper in that last year of her life because she was dying. If my family had gathered to talk about her life, we could have grown together, weaving stories. Many cultures do exactly that. They openly grieve together. After my kid was in the hospital, 
I launched a deep dive to understand how and why my body holds grief. I had to learn how to release it. I had to learn the language of emotions. And I started producing a library of interviews with authors who have written about grief and loss and death. I am committed to this conversation. This is really a conversation about life. I want you to imagine a peaceful exit, one that aligns with everything you love. We can imagine this as a positive conversation, not a dark or difficult one. Talking about death is like talking about sex. It doesn't have to be the one 200-minute conversation. It can be 200 one-minute conversations. So you're driving your kid to school and you're pulling up to the curb and you say, hey, do you know how to use a condom? I think I want to be cremated. How about tacos for dinner? See you at three, have a great day. Regardless of whether your death is peaceful or not, you will live more fully normalizing this conversation. I know unexpressed grief is dangerous. Holding fear is why we hurt others. We hoard stuff. We live in scarcity. We become estranged from our family members. With so much death and fear in the world right now, it might seem naive to think about a peaceful exit. But our United States culture of denial, especially about aging and death, is not bridging differences. It's not healing broken hearts. It's not building safe and resilient communities in times of trouble. Imagining a peaceful exit gives us a positive conversation. It opens up the possibility of planning and acting in love and service to those left behind. Knowing we will all die someday, this conversation makes us better partners, caregivers, and neighbors. And it gives us fodder to grow as a human family. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, for that incredible talk entitled The Talk, Not the One You Think, from our Speak Growth event on November 30th, 2023. Sarah was a collaborator. She was honest. She was transparent. And she was just so excited to be at this event and give this talk on stage. So we thank Sarah for all that she brought to our event. That does it for this episode of the Speak Podcast. Join us next week and every week as we bring you three more incredible talks that stepped onto the stage and into the spotlight. See you next time, guys. The Speak Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by Fred P. Banning, Jason Martin, and George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Champions Day, is by Lupus Nocti. Incidental music, Melting Places, is by Andreas Kantu. Music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. The Speak Podcast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow Speak at Speak underscore event on Twitter and at Speak Event on all other social media platforms. Visit our website, speakevent.com, for upcoming events, 
channel partner, sponsorship, and speak at work opportunities. And follow all the great podcasts produced by Lunchpad 516 Studios. 